0: Greetings, future fossils. Welcome to another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. And sometimes that just means leaving a memento about what it's like to be a human being in this specific day and age for whoever might find this down the way. I was digging through my mom's things and found this framed photo of a 19th century family all staged in front of their country home, and at first I thought maybe it had been my family, but it was clearly not. It was clearly just this reminder of a bygone age, the way that people used to dress. These little tokens, they situate us in our moment. They provide a point of reference And sometimes I think that the real benefit of this show isn't to me or you or even anyone alive right now, but to the people in a 100 years who are going to reflect on this the way that my mother reflects on this old photograph with these strangers and looks on it and says, that's what it was to be alive then. That's what it meant to be a human being, to have a family, to live in this place And so it's with great pleasure that I introduce this week's guest, Anya Khan, of the Alexi Era Gallery, digital pop surrealist painter, very talented, interesting artist. But rather than getting into her work, we got into this bigger question of the human condition in the early 21st century, what we imagine the unique problems and privileges of our age might be. And specifically, our relationship to this accelerating evolutionary technological tsunami that all of us are trying to find our way in and how it's changing us and how the new awareness of our relationship to the emergent and self-organizing institutions within which all of us find ourselves now both supports and challenges or even threatens the dignity and integrity of the human being. But before we get into that, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review on your platform of choice, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever suits you. My goal with this podcast is to create conversations of benefit to whomever hears them. So I appreciate everything that you're doing to get this podcast into the ears of everyone whose day it might improve. If you'd like some fun rewards in exchange for your support, then please go check out patreon.com slash Michael Garfield, where not only are there a bunch of cool videos and free music, you can also learn about the many little things I've set up as a gesture of appreciation for folks like new subscribers hillary selden and brett kane this week thank you so much for your support it makes it so much easier for me to put in the time that this podcast needs to really flourish and help as many people as it can it also keeps this podcast free from advertisements which i think we can all appreciate Last gratitude shout out goes to Noah Lampert, the founder of MindPod Network, the new home of Future Fossils podcast, alongside a number of other goofy, offbeat, wonderful shows like Third Eye Drops and Synchronicity podcast, both of which are wonderful. Also, Corey Allen's Astral Hustle podcast, and then Zach Leary's podcast. So yeah... Anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode. Feel free to say hello in the Future Fossils Facebook group if you have any cool links to share or questions for me or other listeners. Anyway, here's Anya Khan. <laughs> We're here with the delightful artist Anya Khan, the director of the Alexi Era Gallery, the host of Create and Inspire podcast, and someone I met fairly randomly through a, a Facebook comment thread on there, there being too too much new art in the world, and, and can't some people just stop making art, which I, I thought was a fabulous rye sardonic thread and and she had some really interesting stuff but it was all so long ago i've forgotten and now we're just motivated by this this common interest in portrayal of the fantastic and inspiring our fellow creators so at any rate we have i have no plan no idea what's going to happen on this call today but i am nonetheless happy to welcome anya khan to future fossils
1: hello And I'm all good with shooting from the hip. That's how I live my life. So we're good.
0: (laughs) So like right before we started, you were talking about, yeah, you're going through a phase of consolidating all of these different, I want to call them uh, properties if we're going to use nasty corporate slang, but all of these different (laughs) aspects of your life, trying to bring them together under one thing. And so I'm curious, you know, what that's that's like for you, because it feels that trying to simplify the chaos and... Distractions and organize and cohere everything is is a theme of this day.
1: It is, and it's a great theme for 2017 for sure. You know, starting the year, consolidating and and kind of streamlining uh, how you deal with your business or things that you do. I think a lot of creative people out there um, are multifaceted and they do so many different things, and it's sometimes hard to figure out how to streamline it. Uh, For me. I started out as an artist. Um, But like we talked about earlier about music, I actually started out doing music. And then I got into graphic design, uh, designing CD covers and all the stuff for a record label I owned. And then that kind of morphed into a more creative phase. And then I started to do art. Then I fell in love with other artists because that's not what I was introduced to in much of my life. I wasn't honored like so many people out there to have art as a um, a very large part, you know, I did my own art and maybe was around people in school, but, you know, I didn't experience going to museums or art galleries. I didn't, I didn't really even know that a lot of it existed except for, you know, when I would go to the library, you know, I pick up art and books and things like that. Other than that, I wasn't extremely cultured until later I got into art. And then this whole world opened up and I was like, wow, there's so many artists. So then you have new artists and you have artists from history and you have just a wide range of beauty. So then I started to want to showcase that and uh, focused a lot on showcasing that, which went into book projects, which then went into wanting to help artists, which was the podcast that uh, we did, Create and Inspire podcast and blog, where we give tips and tricks and different things to help emerging artists and people that are already, you know, on their way to uh, wherever they want to be on top of uh, just really trying to motivate people to just keep creating no matter what. Like stop worrying about people judging you, just just make it. So all those branches kind of started going out in all these directions. I had so many websites going, (laughs) you know, numerous Facebook logins and when you have to remember passwords for three Facebook pages and this, and I felt like they did have their own thing. They were concrete enough to stand on their own. But uh, this year I really got into thinking, how do they all kind of work together? You know, is this podcast and blog something that a gallery can can give to artists if we're already helping artists anyway? Is there a way to take publishing and merge it in there too? And so that's what I did. I took down all the websites, all the Facebook pages and created Alexia gallery projects. And that's where, you know, people can view the podcast on the site. Um, we still have the CreightonInspire dot uh, com because it was an amazing dot com to get. I uh, have to tell mm-hmm. you that. Yeah. Um, but it forwards to the gallery site, and then there's publishing and. You've so, inspired
0: I mean, me to delete some Facebook pages, actually.
1: You know, it's nice to have different places to do stuff. You know, I think it's it's nice, but I also feel like you get lost in the mix. Like somebody might fall in love with the Creighton Inspire podcast. But yeah, don't realize that, you know, you run a gallery or like we started this thing called Sketch Saturdays where every Saturday we release five to, sorry, three to five original sketches from artists all over the world. So that there's something new um, every Saturday that people can come and see and and adopt that it's reasonable, you know, a reasonable priced, um, you know, item on our site. And when I started to do that, I was like, why can't all these things just be? you know, part of one thing. I just, I like to do a lot of stuff. I like to have my hands in a lot of things. Even as an artist, I do a lot of things. Graphic design, I use pencil, I do digital, I paint, you know, a mixture of stuff. So it's, you know, how to kind of funnel that into one place because, you know, Michael, why would you want to get lost in the mix? If somebody falls in love with your podcast, what if they knew that you ran a, a gallery and, you know, could be a potential collector or what if they're an artist that's looking for inspiration and is trying to get into the gallery scene, but has no idea that you're a gallerist and that's some place they could submit to, you know, it's, there's just a lot of, I think, um, you know, Evan flow and I also am extremely, um, ADD. <laughs> I just like <laughs> to do a lot of stuff, you know? And so it keeps me busy And, but it also keeps it, it really funneled and people stumble, you know, stumble across. Oh, I went to the gallery website to see the new show you put up today. I had no idea that you ran a podcast or I had no idea that you guys were putting out a book.
0: Oh, it's so irritating to hear that kind of thing. It's like that, Mm -hmm. that very thing. I remember originally I had separate Facebook pages for my art and my music Mm -hmm. and and I, I, you know, it's one of these things where it's like, I'm not sure that anything I say, to my children is gonna be relevant to them. You know, it's really hard. I don't make the same assumptions that my father does about the world changing but sort of staying the same. You know, I feel like a lot of the advice that I get from my parents would have been really great advice 30 years ago and now I'm not so sure. And it's not because I don't think that they're respectful, intelligent, insightful, wise people. It's that Things, the playing field is so different uh, 30 years later. And one of these things, you know, it's like I, I one of these things that I worry about is, or I can not worry about, but I can imagine telling my kids, son, don't start multiple Facebook pages. <laughs> you know, consolidate it all under a, a single brand identity. You know, meanwhile, everyone's telling me that I need a separate name for these different things because if you do what you're doing mm-hmm. and you try to put it all under one brand, then sometimes people feel like you can't possibly be excellent at all of those things Or like, yeah, they're...
1: that's total bullshit though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, I have, I have to say that. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but Oh,
0: you are. Yeah. Okay, this, good. Is, this is an explicit sure. fucking podcast. Like, you can edit
1: that out if you need to, but, but I think I won't. that's total I do. I think it's total bullshit. And I think that everybody has some advice to give and everybody is going to say do one or do the other. But really, it's it's a matter of personal preference. And I think like you're talking about music and art and this and that. It's like, honestly, you are your own entrepreneur. You are your own entity. And why can you not put things all in one space? Well, people want to see um, something cohesive. And I understand that from a marketing background because I have a marketing background. I understand that, you know, having just an Instagram that just shows all your art and that's it is, you know, a powerful, you know, thing. But, you know, like myself, I do, you know, painting that's very colorful. I'm a photographer who does black and white in extreme contrast to my other work. I also do pencil drawings and I like to post dog pictures from time to time <laughs> because... Dog pictures truly give you a sense of real, you know, people find you to be a genuine person if you actually share some part of your life that's important to you other than it just be marketing and trying to sell all the time.
0: Well, wait, don't you and- don't you find that you lose people when you post a dog picture? I find like every time I post something about music on my art Instagram stuff that that I lose like five or ten people.
1: Absolutely. <sighs> but you know what? I've gone to another end of this. I was in the beginning 100% business marketing with it you know like I must keep the feed looking a certain way I don't want to alienate people by maybe being too personal you know I don't want to post a dog picture but I have found by taking my art bringing my because I used to have a photography Instagram because it was all black and white it looked really nice together and then my colored stuff looked good by itself and I just decided last year to just put it all together And if you people don't like it, I'm sorry, stop following me. I'm, I'm not (laughs) going to sit there and try to pretend that I'm, you know, three different people. And that's kind of what this digital age has created for so many people is you have an online presence, you have a personal presence, you have a work presence. It's like, you can't say, you know, a good example is like on my public Facebook page, I have to watch what I say because I'm a business owner. You know, so you have to kind of play that, but you also can't just put yourself in a complete box where you can't be human either, which is not, you know, cool. And you have all these facets. I'm, I used to do music too. I haven't done it in a long time because I got sick and I couldn't, you know, use my vocals anymore. But the point is, is I would still put the music on, on the same page. Why not? Why not have my Facebook feed be filled with a bunch of different things that shows all the things that I'm capable of Rather than, oh, well, if you like my photography, here's a page for that. If you like my art, here's a page for that. Here's my drawing. How about that? It's like, I tell people, like, if you don't like it, you know, if it's too much, if you don't like to see the photography and you're there for my art and that bothers you, I'm not living my life to please you. Feel free to unfollow my page, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's an inconvenience. I'm sure you can understand that. It's it's completely inconvenience and... Again, like I'm saying, I'm not saying that there isn't coherency and I can see the marketing appeal, but I think for people that are creative, it's a little different than let's say Coca-Cola or something like that who, who needs to because of how, why their range is. But if you're a creative person then, and you know how to sing and you know how to dance and you know how to paint and you're an amazing and you know sewer and you can make clothes, show us all you're doing. I want to see how amazing you are. You know, Um, show me everything. Because if I'm not interested in you as a creative person, and I'm just looking at one facet, and the other shit annoys me, then I'm really not invested in the person, now am I?
0: True. And And be invested in the person. Also, I've noticed that that attitude has inflected, or possibly infected, the way I think about work in general. Which is, I look back at my my resume and it's a disaster from a traditional point of view. It's, it's like yours. It's all over. And you know, there's somewhere in between scientific illustration and field biology and festival psychedelic philosopher and singer songwriter is this, if you can see past the job descriptions, you can connect the dots and see what a person is at their core then yeah. suddenly you have a much you have a much better idea of what matters to them in their life and mm-hmm. how they're going to understand their role within an organization. I'm constantly surprising myself by how business minded I find these deliberations. Like I was never I've always been drawn into the arts, but in the last few years there's been something about the corporate world's growing emphasis on alignment of meaning and purpose between the individual and the institution and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to get people who want to stay with the employer, like the balance of power has shifted somewhat to these rogue geniuses that various businesses are trying to recruit. And, and, and we, and they know that young people have no loyalty to the, the company. And so it's almost like uh, like the informational warfare that's going on internationally. There's an attempt to spin, to like sell the brand, to sell the employer to the employee. And in order to do that, you really have to see the whole person. And you have to see why they're there in the first place. It may actually be more useful to people to put themselves out like that so that the rest of the world actually has an accurate image of you because like what you were saying, it's like, well, I had no idea that you were a a musician. It's like, well, the last time I sat down in front of a potential employer, he was like, just, just tell me everything about you. Like tell me all the things that you do, all the things that you're curious about because it's one thing to recognize a person's potential in a vague sense. And it's another thing to see every one of us is this like Swiss army knife of capabilities. And I'm, I'm actually kind of hopeful that it gets easier for people to live an undivided existence, that they're not going to get fired for saying fuck on their Facebook page, their personal profile, you know, or like that it's that we're not going to have to live these dual identities.
1: I wish that we didn't have to. I will say that there is a part of me as a person who um, is pretty vulnerable and um you know pretty accessible and i open myself up and say some things that maybe i shouldn't say i mean i am very good at how i say them and i try to be as professional as i can but i'm also not just a tight lip person you know if i feel like I, somebody needs to be stood up to or there's a gallery taking from artists or you know there's a cause that's important you know i'm not just droning on on my facebook about political posts all day but, you know, maybe once a month or once every two months when something is extremely important to me, I will I will say something about that. And I think that there's validity to that. There's a, a, a balance going on right now with, you know, people who can access social media. Um, there's a positive and negative aspect to that because, you know, it gives access to voices, you know, that couldn't be heard before, which I think is, you know, fantastic. But it creates so many voices that almost none can be heard because the chatter is is so overwhelming so it's everything technical has so many positives and so many negatives and it's really trying to to balance that and one will one person will say well this is really good while another person's you know perception will be like this is a really terrible thing well Technology, you know, creating relationships is really great. You know, you can create gallery relationships and publishing relationships and podcast relationships, but it also takes away the authenticity of actually really sitting down and connecting with a person face to face because when people post on Facebook, they have to think about it, right? Mm-hmm. They, I mean, sure, there's people that just spout off and will just type and have no thought, but granted, everything is kind of censored, it's through a filter. People are wanting to be perceived a certain way, so they handle it differently, rather than if I met you in person, there would be a completely different kind of dialogue as as a human spirit. So I think that that's kind of a unfortunate thing that we're seeing, and I think that that's why maybe people, kind of to circle this around, why people are feeling like they cannot be genuine and have you know, well, I'm a this and I'm a that and I do all this stuff, you know, I want to just stay over here and maybe I'll put a little something over here because by showcasing all of these things, it's almost too much vulnerability, but it also makes you look like you had said earlier, kind of all over the board. Like, well, if you do all that stuff, then you must not be good at one of them because, you know, you you can't be if you do, do that many things, which is absolutely not true. There is tons of smart creative people out there that can do five different things and do them remarkably well
0: yeah actually i heard a friend introduced just a few days ago people said he's not a jack of all trades he's a master of three trades (laughs) (laughs) i don't know it's like maybe it's the future shock are you familiar with that uh alvin marie toffler uh husband and wife pair wrote this book called future shock i think uh, in the 70s and it was They saw this coming. They saw this avalanche of information and change. Like Stuart Brand says, when progress happens fast enough, we stop calling it progress. We start calling it change, and we become afraid of it, basically, rather than excited about it. And so what they saw was people regressing into religious fundamentalism, nationalism, You know, chauvinism, or in general, just sort of in-group, out-group, oversimplified strategies for social interaction, and you know, just having to dig in and clam up in order to to mitigate all of this stuff. And I feel like the elevator pitch, in the sense of it literally being two people only have 90 seconds to communicate with one another, because you you're literally trying to petition a captive audience. Sure. In the 90 seconds yep. that you have, that elevator pitch is literally due to the architecture, the infrastructure of a modern skyscraper metropolitan society. And likewise, the new elevator, you know that we spend all day scrolling up and down is the Facebook news feed and the elevator pitch is now as long as it takes for somebody to flick their thumb and you've got like two, you you don't have time for two hyphens in your job description anymore, <laughs> you know, but it's sure. like in a way it feels like this is due to the way that we are compressed digitally by yeah. society and and so we develop these psychological coping strategies like i don't want to hear about everything just give me the digest you know which is a tragedy really it's a tragedy of culture
1: it's a really hard place to be in i mean i am a technical person for sure i know how to do electronic music i i paint digitally i know how to do audio and record podcasts i am a graphic designer i love I love technology, so I'm not, you know, a technology foe by any means, but I definitely see a very large conversation with artists that I coach or that I talk to or gallery owners or other people who are feeling completely weighed down by technology, just feeling like they're a slave to Facebook. They're a slave to Instagram. If they don't keep up with it, you know, people aren't going to follow them. People aren't going to buy from them. You know, people aren't going to be supportive if if they're not. And, um, and it's true. And, and the big companies, for example, like Facebook, this just proves it to me kind of what's happening personally. I had close to 300,000 people who followed me on Facebook and I was very active, extremely active. And I was always having, you know, five to 900 people a week adding my page at least, going on a couple years like that and it got crazy in the last year i didn't post as much um i was very busy with the gallery i didn't do a lot of art i was moving across country had some health issues just things a lot of things took me away from my own creativity which was fine because my focus was somewhere else for the year and i noticed my numbers just started dropping not that they just weren't going but just dropping at like large amounts And I started doing some research and started realizing that Facebook was actually punishing me for not posting. (laughs) What? I mean, and I know that this might sound conspiracy theory, but for years, I've ran that Facebook page for years. How is it all of a sudden when algorithms change and I just don't have the time to post? Not that I'm posting stuff that people don't like. Nothing. It's just I'm not as active. So all of a sudden, my numbers start dropping. I start posting again, and my numbers start panning out again. Like, oh, okay, you're posting now. So we're 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 looking at this from artists and creatives and sensitive people. All these people in the world that are creative people, whether they're musicians or they're poets, we are all sensitive on some level. There are mm-hmm. there is this sensitivity in there. Um, we feel things. That's why we are creators. And you know, so you're also taking people who are innately sensitive to wow, 10 people unfollowed me today. What the hell? What did I do? You know, and then <laughs> like, you know, self-deprecation. I must be a terrible person. It was that dog picture eating pizza. I know it. I know it. You know? And so it it's a self-esteem issue as well because I will tell you when those numbers started dropping I was like, whoa, I've worked for years to get this up there. Like, I've you know, followed rules and and researched marketing, and I've been you know doing things right. How all of a sudden are my numbers just you know? Dro- oh, okay, well you're not posting, so numbers are dropping. Algorithm changes. Okay, let's start posting it. Oh look, my numbers start balancing out again. Well, why do we have to be a slave to that? You know, why? Can- really, I'd like to know why Facebook doesn't make people just pay a monthly fee and they can have as many fans as they want. You know what I'm saying?
0: I mean, because mm. half
1: the people are not paying for advertising. And I think if they just had an overall fee, like, oh, 20 bucks a month, you can do whatever you want. You can reach your clients. You know, they probably make more money anyway, uh, except for like big brands like
0: Coca-Cola. But now I'm
1: rambling. So <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: that's OK. We have no idea what of this podcast will be useful to digital archaeologists of the future. So sometimes very- sometimes we really we look at it as we're just shotgunning, you know, it, it, it is important, I think, to tie it into we're looking at this on a very finely resolved time scale. you know, the the way that algorithms are shifting and, and moving things around. And I'd be kind of curious to know what you think of how all of this fits into a larger human story, uh, you know, how it is. That the changes that are happening for us uh, psychologically, socially, do you... I mean, it doesn't seem like this is a flash in a pan. It seems like this is a... That we're in the midst of a profound and irreversible transformation in the way that human beings understand themselves and relate to one another. Like, so in some ways, it's unprecedented. And in, in other ways, I think that we're actually it's atavistic or like we're going back to reclaim certain things that we neglected or rejected it in the modern world. In you know, for example, claim to have made it to the top of the food chain. But <laughs> now we're, we've created these artificial entities, you know, corporations or legal systems that have a life of their own and prey on literally feed on The resources of human attention or human affluence in whatever sense so we psychologically in a lot of ways are back where we were in the pleistocene where we're always looking over our shoulder you know we're really aware of the fact that that big brother is watching that target is reading the cookies that you leave online and or that you're you're accumulating online and tracking all your stuff and that target knows you're pregnant before you do and you know like this this kind of stuff so in a way a part of the anxiety of our modern life is actually kind of traditional it's like it's actually more familiar to us than being at the top of the stack but you know I wonder what you think this is all going to look like in a few years like where do you think the new balance will be what do you hope it will be and then is that any different from <laughs> what you imagine this that you know the commons or like the the town square like the way that people interact
1: I personally feel that we're at such a a dichotomy because we have this slave to the machine going on right um you know slave to target like you were saying for example where you know you maybe you Googled online looking for something and then all of a sudden an ad pops up on your phone and you're like, well, that was fucking creepy. How about no? You know, it's, it's not a good feeling. I don't personally like it. Um, but then you have this other side where I think that we have become more evolved people, really people I feel are somewhat more spiritual or more grounded, or I don't know. I feel like more, uh, more self-aware, more compassionate on some levels. There's, people that are like that. And I'm thinking that there's this like large pull of technology and this disconnect, but then these other, other people that are like, but no, we're more connected. We're understanding the fabric of each other with this technology. It's actually giving us, um, with all these articles we could read, giving us information, for example, we carry trauma from our ancestors. So let's say my great grandma was abused her trauma within her cells carries into my DNA in this in this day and age, which so that means I have trauma memories and there's this is scientifically proven. This isn't some you know conspiracy. This is scientifically proven that we carry these kind of memories. So we're learning great advancements in science, great advancements in medicine, and medicine, great advancements in um, you know spiritual understanding, but yet. You know, So there's going to be, I feel like there's got to be a break. Um, I don't really know what that looks like. But I feel like people will, I feel like I've snapped out of it personally. Like recently when I started the year, I was like, I'm a slave to my freaking cell phone. I am. I work on my cell phone. I answer emails on my cell phone. I'm checking my cell phone. And it's like we are attached to our cellular devices for so many things. Not only do people attach to it for work. But self-gratification, oh, look, someone liked my page. Oh, I got a phone call from so-and-so. It's creating this. I was reading some articles on um, uh, internet and cell phone addiction because I feel like I'm kind of there. (laughs) Uh, Not that I really am, but, you know, I work so much with it that it's like, well, where's the fine line between, especially working, you know, alone a lot, you know, where's that fine line like, oh, I'm taking it to the dinner table and I'm not even paying attention to my food. I'm oh, I'm, I'm working. I'm posting something on Instagram while I'm shoving food in my mouth and I'm wondering why I'm choking on a piece of broccoli because I ain't even fucking paying attention to what I'm eating, you know, and, and it's realizing that, OK, what can I do to kind of it's dinner time. We're going to put the phone somewhere else. It's not work, work time. And I think there's a lot of people, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of people, I think, that are coming to understand that because it's a new thing. It's not like alcoholism or drugs where people have been addicted to it for years. This technology is a new addiction that people are getting addicted to for various reasons, whether it's loneliness or you're a workaholic like myself who, you know, works like crazy and then realizes I can take my work anywhere with me, which is not a good thing. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but not, you know, it's a difficult thing. I don't really know what I'm getting at here.
0: You know, you've got a problem when you're taking an Android and an iOS device on vacation.
1: Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> but you're not the only one. You know, that's the thing is that it's not just the person that is a self-employed person or an entrepreneur. It's the mom with kids. It's the kid that's at school that's just getting into college that's become a slave to a technology that's also viewing this as what they are as their self their Facebook has become who they are as people these artists it's it's oh if I don't let have you know more than so many followers I'm a failure and it's it's very harmful I think psychologically to so many people on various levels, especially like bullying and all these other things. But then again, I like to go to the other side and go, but look at the articles, look at all the people that around the holidays were posting on Facebook, the 1-800 number for suicide help for people that were lonely. And then people will see that in their feed and realize they're not alone. But then 10 minutes later, it goes through your feed that there's been you know, a shooting in Florida like today. It's it's so up and down. We we were not mm. meant, I don't believe, as is as, as creatures to be living through so much up and down. This is good, this is bad, this is this, this is that, this is where you need to be. You need to drive here, you need to take your kids here. And we're pushing ourselves as a society, saying, You have to be all these things. You can't just be a mom. You gotta be taking your kids to soccer and you got to be taking them to church and you got to be doing this and you better be doing that and you better be feeding them certain kinds of meals a day and if you don't somebody's gonna go on your Facebook page and they're gonna call you out publicly because you're a bad parent you know <laughs> yeah. it's, I don't like it if I could just totally wipe out and not in disconnect and go off the grid I'd be really happy with that so, um,
0: but you can't right
1: I know and, and you and you can't you know you just have to learn to adapt and realize that this is this is where we're going as a society, but there has to be a balance. Where do you get your value? Do you get your value from social media or you, do you get your value from true real conversations with people like we're having? You know, where is that true interaction? Where can you find the value in the chaos like you said earlier? You know, so much chaos, where is the value? Where is the vulnerability? Where is the truth?
0: I you know, I feel like our world would benefit from Rather than an ad blocker, like a social quantization blocker, like you just don't get to see how many people liked your post. That, yeah, I
1: can see that.
0: You know, that there's there's something about that specifically that there's this thread quantified self. Mm-hmm. People are measuring the way that they sleep, they're measuring their heart rate variability, and it's fascinating, and it's all of these these new insights about these little patterns that you can quote unquote hack in your own cycles, your own rhythms. But at what point does that become a way for your insurance company to play you like a violin so that mm. it's already happening, that they're already linking up your actuarial tables to your Apple Watch so that yeah. they, you know, they can get a sense. And then at that point, it's, it's tricky because I actually do think that most people, possibly myself included, don't have the self-awareness or, you know, some of these things, no one has the self-awareness to really track and understand. You just don't see yourself from orbit.
1: You know, it's too new to have that self-awareness. That's probably why.
0: Yeah. And and so you, you get an Apple Watch and you're tracking or you're a Fitbit or whatever, you're tracking all your health activity, but that thing isn't telling you about the effects of that interaction on your health. Like that's, and then pretty, you know, in five years, they're going to sell another device that tracks your relationship to Fitbit. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't worry about this so much as I notice that turning everything into a game seems to be the problem. Like we're, we're, yeah. it's like we're wired for social confirmation. That's not actually a bad thing any more than being wired to consume sugar at every opportunity is a bad thing right? Right. So it's actually, it's actually good for us. I, you know, I thought a lot about using people's desire to feel recognized and included for really positive things. Like if you're doing charity auctions, for example, or, you know, you're putting a lot of famous artists on a benefit compilation. There are these little ways that we can recruit people's self-interest for a greater good, you know, Ugh. that, there's there's like oh your neighbors are saving 17 dollars a month on their electricity and then everyone in the neighborhood's fighting their way to the bottom of electrical use and you end up you know burning a lot less fuel uh, in order to accomplish a daily existence and that's all that's all well and good but it's this issue of game the game itself the idea of the game as a technology that can be an instrument of art and creativity and uh, beauty, or can be a weapon. And you can actually turn people's lives into games in ways that seem to benefit them at first, but end up creating these uh, addictive behavioral patterns that then transfer to other stuff. Like I actually think hmm. I got I got into the smartphone game pretty late, like twenty thirteen. Wow. So I actually have this, I was able to watch in a very short span of time, my own psychology change as an adult and like notice how my attention span got smaller and my distractedness got easier and my frustration with life in general just grew because of this, the the dope habit of yeah. the phone. and. So if, if our entire life is is gamified in that way, it's not even just about like worrying about what other people think about us. It's like, are we even capable of great things when we're so the, like the addict's brain looks different. The addict's brain has a narrower time horizon. You know, when you're when Correct. you're cra- when you're craving a fix, you can't think about like, you know, building a monument to generations of the future.
1: No, that's it's very, that's very true. This is clearly a new addiction for people. It's like you said, it's not all about likes and stuff. I just hear a lot about that, you know, with artists specifically. But if you go into a, a wide range of um, people that uh, function on different planes in the world, you know, whether they're a lawyer, or they're this or they're that um, people have become really attached to their phones for various reasons, whether they're, they're gaming or they're constantly checking their bank account or they're on the phone or they're Skyping or they're this or they're that. And it's become this thing that fills this void and the, and the void is, is beyond the need. Everything needs to be a game. And I agree with that. I feel like, you know, we look at like, for example, a fitness tracker, I've used a Fitbit, um, and it was attached to something else on my phone. It wasn't the Fitbit app. I wanted something else, you know, something that gave me, you know, coins and this and that and the other thing and made me feel like I was making progress. And I just I ended up they ended up changing something and the app went away after four years, which sucked, you know, <laughs> but uh, I was like, I, you know, I got like 5000 coins for doing yoga and then you knew people just delete the app, you know, but that's how <laughs> life is. in this technical world. Is, is that too. It's that loss. You know? It's that easy come, easy go kind of thing. Everything is fluctuating so quickly. And so we're looking at our Facebook feeds and we're scrolling through things and we're checking out the news. And we're living our lives like that beyond even just looking at the cell phone or the computer or the iPad. We're living life like that. People are driving through life. And they're not even paying attention to what's happening around them. And then look at all the people that are driving and texting because they're so attached to their flipping cell phone. And it's not illegal. Not that it's not illegal to text and drive, but it's not illegal to have it with you like alcohol or other drugs. And people are being killed by it because someone is so interested in who sent them an email or, you know, whatever the case may be. Did my boyfriend just text me? Does he want to break up with me? Because we want instant gratification. We can't wait five minutes to pull over to check it. We need to know now. I want to know what's going on. And I even see that with emails that I get, that I'll get emails and I get a lot because they do a lot of different things. And sometimes I'm not, you know, the quickest person to reply. And I mean like, you know, a couple of days, not like weeks, but then I have people like, well, why aren't you replying? I'm like, give me a minute. Give me about 30 seconds. How about that? And you see that instant urgency with, with so many things too. So we're moving at a fast pace. We're connected to something for various, we're all connected to the same thing for various reasons. And that's the other thing too. It's not like, I don't feel it's the same as alcohol or drugs because there's so many different drugs and there's alcohol and there's a lot of people that, you know, don't, that use all of that and it's no good, but anybody can be connected to a phone and not think that there's anything wrong with them the majority of people who are alcoholics kind of know they're alcoholics and the people around them are acutely aware they're alcoholics, even if they're in denial. (laughs) But you know, the cell phone, there's excuse after excuse. Well, I have to work and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I think there's so many people that aren't realizing that they're even addicted or that they're even, you know, that it's, it's gotten to that level.
0: Mm. So if this is our generation's smoking, Pretty and much. then what is a world without this look like in another 50 years? Like once upon a time, smoking was considered okie doke. Yeah, but it, was, it wasn't it was
1: bad and cool,
0: but it, it also was not so necessary.
1: No. What did we have that were health benefits from smoking? Nothing. It was just, we did it cause it looked cool. It tastes good, whatever. And then you see this shitty side effect, but the internet or the, the phones, there's so much positive to it too. I know I'm talking about so many negatives, but there's so much positives to it. I was sick and bedridden for 11 and a half years. If I didn't have the internet, I wouldn't have the art career I have today. I wouldn't. And so I can bash it all day long that, you know, technology is is difficult and it makes things hard and people are addicted to it. But I wouldn't, have what I have today if I didn't have the ability to connect to people outside my ability to function like a normal human being. Mm. So there's that real positive aspect to it. So like you're at, you know, what in 10 years from now, what's going to come of all this? Because there are benefits to it. It's a walking dichotomy. It's so good, but it's so bad, but it's so good, but it's so (laughs) so bad. What do we have like that? Anything else that you can think of that has that same kind of push and pull, I can't think of anything. Gambling is innately bad. Sure, you can, you know, if you can keep your pennies in your pocket and do it for fun from time to time, cool, it's fun, but you're not getting something from it. The internet provides us with wonderful ways to connect with each other. It provides us with information about mental health issues and things like that, where so many people are alone and they're able to access is support groups and things like that, where they don't even have to leave their own home. It gives us the ability to uh, have a library right at our fingertips, but on the contrary, it gives us medical information that no one needs to be Googling when they don't feel good. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know,
0: I got one for you then religion. We know that religion, people feel happier, they live longer, mm-hmm. and it's part in part because of community and in part because of with some certainty that they've got it figured out, that they're not stuck in this existential question mark that the a-religious have to live their lives in. Religion, you know, I mean, atheism qualifies as a religion. Sure. You know, it's it's anything that's, I've got a declared set of beliefs and a community of people that agree with me and we find some solidarity. But then again, it's completely reasonable to ask the question as so many people have, whether religion's benefits truly outweigh the historical and personal costs, you know, and like, especially in a world Mm -hmm. like our world today, where things are changing so rapidly that any established authority, any voice of wisdom has to be Questioned because not only are we facing a legitimacy crisis with our, our religious leaders, our political institutions, our scientific paradigms, yeah. our educational techniques and traditions, it's like it seems like everything is up for grabs right now. So, even though retreating into religion as a way of feeling good, feeling like you got it figured out, connecting with people. Who share your beliefs? That is a deeply rewarding thing, but yeah. I, I wonder. There, I already know so many people, most of them Europeans, who <laughs> who have less of a problem with smoking than they do with religion. But for the same reasons, it's the same thing. It's like, well, it feels good at first, but really, you're limiting yourself. You're damaging yourself. You're relying on a, a strategy that ultimately cannot possibly handle all of these unpredictable circumstances that you throw at it. It's always that guy in the horror movie who's like praying to God right before the alien puts his separate set of jaws through his head or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's like, well, okay. So yeah, that's one I would suggest.
1: No, I would have to agree with you. I think I, I couldn't think of anything else, but religion plays a very similar role that technology does. You know, it's, it's not innate, like smoking is innately bad, you know? I and mean, that's just, that's just what it is. Not a good thing. i um, drinking. Sure. Have a couple drinks, no big deal. But you know, you can go on the other side of it. But there's no extreme health benefits to drinking. Sure, it might improve your heart a little bit, and you know, whatever. So does eating. You know, anything you put in your body has the ability to do something positive and something negative. I mean, that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter if it's even a piece of fruit. But um, when you look at religion, like you were saying, it it does have a quality where there are people who live very happy within it and find extreme positive parts of it. And I've been around plenty of people who are who are good people, who are not, you know, like the Westboro Baptist Church or, you know, whatever, that actually live by the rules of whatever, you know, do unto others as you would do unto them, not be judgmental, that actually are fundamentally good people who are extremely religious and live really great lives. Of course, there's assholes, you know, mm-hmm. that are religious too, but you know, you can see the benefits of it, even if you don't subscribe to that. Like, I'm, I'm not a religious person. You know, I have a bit of a spiritual background and believe that there's everything's all connected on some level. But there are people that are also extremely religious that are okay with other religions, too. And that's, you know, also a really good thing. Like, oh, okay, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a problem with, you know, X, Y, or Z, other cultural beliefs of other people. I don't, ha- mine doesn't have to be the end all be all. And I think those are really the most evolved people when it comes to you, uh, if you want to subscribe to religion. But, you know, like you're saying, there's a complete opposite. Now, here's a question. We've had that for so long. Religious, religion has been, you know, a part of our life for a very long time. Is technology almost like the new, the new religion? And it's going to be – because it's not going anywhere. And that's the thing. Unlike – other things that kind of come and go. Technology is not going anywhere unless we have just a complete blackout and there's no ability to do it. We have too many things that are integrated into technology from science to medicine to personal life, things like phones. It is it is a new way of how we're going to live our life. And I just saw an article on, uh, I think it was on CNN. I'm not exactly sure, but they're talking about how um, robots, which they've been talking about this for years, but it's really come coming to fruition now, where robots are going to replace so many people's jobs. Well, what are people going to do when, you know, so many of these jobs are being replaced by robots? You know, is mm-hmm. it going to create a better sense of purpose? Are people going to go towards jobs that maybe have more purpose? Because you can't have a robot doing a heart surgery. There is no way... That a robot is going to be that precise and not saying we don't have great precision because we can do crazy stuff in space and things like that but when we're dealing with the human flesh and the human form if you're doing a heart surgery i think people are always going to want a human hand in that maybe i'm wrong but that's how i i feel that you know there are certain jobs that i don't think will ever become mechanical
0: well i'd say maybe there's there's always a niche for human heart surgeons that in the same way that there's like still a store in Austin that sells typewriters, right? You know that that there will be a lot of people who just don't trust robots, and like maybe in a hundred years they'll all be dead, and then the rest of human society will get on with it, and, and sure, and, sure, and, right, and wonder wonder at the day that people ever relied on this drunk cardiac surgeon you know who's true but at the same time like I I guess that's the way I think about things in the future is I don't know that anything is ever going to truly go away
1: no there will always be somebody who wants to hold on to it even if it's centuries from now there's always going to be something that will either they were a part of it and they still want to hold on to it or they're a historian or somebody who looks at the past and says, this is still valid. i like to still adopt this, support this, or whatever. You know, anything that comes into existence will always exist. It's just a matter of how much it does exist on an everyday life.
0: So we're getting close to an hour here. And I want to take the opportunity to dogleg this conversation into something a little different.
1: That's great. Sounds because
0: good. because. You just mentioned that you spent 11 years in bed, and we don't have to get too personal about this, but I just had a chat last week with another fellow podcaster, Michael Phillip of Third Eye Drops, where we were talking about the HBO show Westworld. Have you seen any of that?
1: Mm-mm. I don't own a TV. I, I haven't watched anything in like a long time. Wow. Okay, so- What's the premise
0: of it? It's, it's based on an old 1970s film by Michael Crichton, where there's a theme park full of, it's like the Wild West, but full of robots okay. instead yeah, of actual have, people.
1: Because I know him as an author. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: so in this world, Michael Phillip was suggesting that he thought it didn't make sense that people would go to all this effort to make a flesh and blood simulacrum of the, the Wild West that you could fucking blow up and mess around in when you could do all this stuff convincingly in virtual reality. And I said, actually, I think it's the other way. I think that people might get so spoiled or jaded in the future by endless digital delights that we crave something real, that we crave substance, that we crave limitation. And that the joy of a theme park like Westworld would be that there are at least the appearance of actual substance and actual consequences in a way that you're not going to experience in the virtual space. So I'm curious as someone Mm -hmm. for whom so much of your life has been Uh, bound by health issues, how do you reflect on that in light of knowing that, you know, whatever your situation was almost certainly unimaginably better than you would have gotten 500 years ago? Correct, And also... It's one of those things where it's like, oh, there, there was the last guy to die of cancer. This bugs me all the time. And I, I wish I had an easy time of letting it go. Just knowing that the struggles and limitations that define my life now mm-hmm. aren't going to even be relevant to the people in another 50 or 100 years. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, man, it's, it sucks having to crank up this, this radio. And now it's like you buy a radio with a crank on it for fun. Right. So what is that you know what does that trigger for you?
1: Well, being pretty much housebound for that long period of time. Sure I got out from time to time, but very rarely and it was never enjoyable when I went out. I was too sick to really enjoy what I was doing, but um, kind of going and uh, piggyback on what you're saying, um, what you were saying earlier about how if people get so much into a virtual world that they're going to crave a real world. And I think that's maybe where my discrepancy is with wanting to just kind of not want to be on the internet, you know, don't want to have to, you know, have to work like that because I feel like that's what I spent so long doing. So for me, I crave a different kind of connection that a lot of other people don't you know what I mean? Because of just a different set of, of living, you know, other people go to work every day, they see this, they do that. Not a lot of my family is, is alive. So you know, that's don't have a lot of those kind of connections. And then, uh, you know, being sick. So it's kind of an isolating experience. And having the internet was of true value for me. Um, I couldn't, be more thankful for it but it also kind of uh, made me a little bitter you know like I don't I don't want to have to talk to somebody through the internet you know like somebody's like I want to Skype with you and I'm like I can we just go and like can we just meet up can you just drive here why don't you drive 60 miles come see me you know <laughs> like I want to see a human I don't really want to see see you through Skype so for for me it, it it has created that kind of craving that you were talking about for me for sure you know, I, I like the reality. I like the world a lot better. I pay much more attention than a lot of other people around me do. I remember when um, I started to actually get better when they finally um, diagnosed me because they told me I was crazy for um, that whole time. They told me I had mental problems and all that stuff. I'm not saying I'm not crazy. I mean, it was one of the hardest things I've ever dealt with you know going through 11 and a half years and people just going um yeah so you're a woman it's probably hormonal or oh you had a bad childhood ah oh, you must be you know anxiety I'm like I'm aware I have an anxiety disorder I diagnosed it myself when I was like 12 it is clearly not just an anxiety <laughs> disorder but it, it it changed how I viewed I viewed life and as I started to have a clearer head and, and my body started to heal and I actually could come into my body cuz I felt like I was my, I feel like I was in a coma the whole time. I don't really remember a lot of it. I was so sick. I remember just like being profoundly impacted by seeing a flipping cloud. I'm like, oh, these clouds are amazing. And that's how I started to get back into photography. Because I mm. wanted to be out there. I wanted to see things. I wanted to see textures. I wanted to breathe things. I wanted to experience life. And it was almost like um, being reborn again. And that's kind of where it's changed my views on technology. Cause I don't think that the, a lot of people are, are in that space yet. I don't think a lot of people are so te- technically consumed yet that they realize that they're missing out on the human, the real, the not virtual, you know, yeah. and are kind of have gone through that. It's like, you know, I want to just grab people's phones from them. Like put it down and eat your fucking dinner. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you see what people just walking around with their cell phones to their face and they're just, Everywhere, everywhere they go, it's the cell phone to the face. It's it's like no one's looking at the trees. No one's looking at each other. No one's really listening. So um, I do think in time we might go into that. Like you're talking about a future thing earlier. I absolutely could easily see over time that people will start to crave the more real, the more tangible, the touching, the this rather than some virtual kind of reality. It. We need that. It is, is scientifically, scientifically proven as humans. We need social interaction that is physical, that is in, in real tangible time, that you know the internet and phones and Skype and all these things do not fill that need. It feel, fills a need, like you're saying, the, the addiction brain. It feeds that but the real healthy part of the brain that develops relationships is not being developed in the same way at all. Mm. So mm. yeah, it was a, it was a crazy time in my life. I'm a, I'm very thankful to be alive. I almost died. And that is why I'm extremely project driven and just can focus and love to do a lot of stuff. Cause I kind of feel like I missed out on a lot, a lot of time. It's a lot of time for a young girl like me. <laughs>
0: So did it, did you bounce out of that with a sense of urgency for legacy yeah. projects in particular? Like, or like, was it a sense of, I'm, I'm curious at how that the sense of compressed time or an increased sense of your, your mortality motivates and, and gives a sense of purpose. This is something that you hear from people over and over who've had a brush with death that they're like, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm done with the bullshit. Yeah,
1: absolutely. It's, it's, it- It's created a monster in a way. There's positive and negative aspects to it. Always been a driven person. Uh, A lot of people didn't know I was sick because I hid behind it, you know, creating my art. Uh, That's all I did for years, you know, creating an art career. And then once I got diagnosed is when I went into the gallery. And I jumped into it very quick because I had always wanted to. And um, I'm just, I'm a person that does stuff. If I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And if I have the ability to do it, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to take a risk. I'm a risk taker. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I mean, I'm not not a risk taker in the point that I'm going to do something stupid. I'm pretty calculated and I plan stuff out, but I also don't just wait for the perfect moment either because that's never going to happen. But once I got to a point of being decently functional, I jumped in so hard that I set myself back. And that's actually what I'm dealing with right now is I jumped in really, really hard in 2013 with everything. And, uh, like you're saying, there's an urgency and I can't stop it. It's an urgency of, well, I don't know how much more time I'm going to have. And is the other shoe going to drop? Am I okay now? But something, you know, could happen later and I'm still struggling, you know, I'm not a hundred percent well, but I'm, I'm way better than I ever could have been. You know, I'm probably about 80% now, which is great. But after you're sick that long, it takes a couple of years and I'm not patient. <laughs> you know, I'm not a patient person. I've never been a patient person. And being sick made me less than patient with anybody. You know, I was like, why don't we figure this out? And I went through hundreds of doctors. And after all the psychiatric stuff, you know, I read so much stuff about all that stuff and, you know, trying to figure it out on my own. I even put myself in a psychiatric hospital at one point at the end of it when I was so inebriated and was pretty much on death's door. And I'm like, fine, if I'm crazy. Sign me in. Where's the paperwork? Give it to me now. You know, I'm done. (laughs) Um, It's a true story. I I absolutely sign myself in. You know, I'm not, I'm not too proud of anything. You know, I'll be open and and say, you know, if I'm wrong, for sure. Um, But the urgency is strong. The goal setting is strong. And for me, I need to slow the hell down a little bit. I need to calm, calm down the motors and be like, okay, you can't make up that many years. And, and in such a short period of time. And the, the way the world works doesn't help me because everything is so fast paced anyway. So everything everybody wants is different gratification and all this stuff. So it just plays into the fact that, you know, I move fast. I talk fast. When I was younger, I wanted to go to school and be a surgeon. I'm going to do all this crazy stuff and goal driven. And then it was like, no, nope, you're going to be in bed. about that's what you're going to do. And you can't do anything about that. You can't change anything about that. And then when you can, the psychology of it is one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. Because also when you start to get better, you have to learn who you are as a as a different person. Because when you were normal and then you get sick, you have to mourn who you were. Because all you do when you're sick is go, I really want to be that other person. Why can't I do this? You know, it's very painful to, to not be able to function. Especially when you're somebody who likes people, likes to go out. You are an outgoing person. You're not somebody who wants to just sit at home. And then on the other end of it, now that I'm getting better, you have to mourn the other person. You have to mourn the sick person because now you're something else. You've evolved into, into something else. But it's given me such valuable lessons. It's given me such appreciation for art. If I wouldn't have gotten sick, I wouldn't have done what I did and I wouldn't appreciate all these artists. And this is the reason why the gallery was important to me. I surrounded myself with art. I was home all the time. I, I needed something to look at. So then I started to collect and trade and and be surrounded by all this beauty. And I'm still obsessed with collecting art. I still love it. I still love people's creativity. And, and my goal is to want to help artists because to me, they're kind of the underdog. You know, they make these beautiful things and they're not looked at like the Michelangelo was, you know, forever ago. That was actually really appreciated. You know, mm. there's so many people out there that are creative and, And do beautiful, wonderful things. And because, oh, they don't have so many likes on their Facebook page. Or because X Gallery doesn't show them. They're nobody. Everybody's valid. Everybody's creativity is valid. I don't care if I dislike it or not. Every human being on this earth has validity. And it it opened my eyes to really look at people for what they were internally. And that's kind of all the way back to the beginning. Why I decided I'm not going to split myself up between... I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I'm going to put them all these plates. I am all this, and I'm one thing, and that's that's what I am. And I hope everybody out there will start to realize that about themselves. They'll just embrace themselves and go, you know what? I am all these things, and if, if I like to fucking swear, I'm going to fucking swear. And if I'm a sweet person who will do anything, and I will give the shirt off my back, then that's the kind of person I am. But I can also say the F word. You know, it's that kind of feeling. And I think I really hope that younger people and older people, they start to get that attitude earlier on. I mean, you look at old people. I freaking love old people. They're like my favorite people in the world. They have so much. We don't don't care anything about our older generation, which is really sad. They have so much value. But look at their attitude. They get to a point where they're like, "Um, how about I'm just going to live my life and you don't like it, kiss my ass. And we need to adopt that earlier on. We should be living from our spirit.
0: We shouldn't mm. be living
1: to get friends, to get likes. Obviously, you can't be at a place of work and be swearing all the time. But you know what I'm saying? You should be allowed to be genuinely yourself without judgment.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, you reached it at a pretty early age because of that physical limitation. I think it takes some kind of limitation, whether it's approaching the end of your life or whether it's being sick for a very long time or being in jail. You know, I know a lot of people whose whose brush yeah. with incarceration really <laughs> changed their their view on things. I guess it'll always be something. But is there is there a particular form of limitation that you hope that we don't lose because you feel that it we would be less without it does that make sense like do you think that you know a lot of people say that if we were to to find the potion for immortality that life would lose its meaning and I don't, sure. I, I, don't I don't know that I necessarily agree with that I think in a lot of ways it would just force us to face something even more horrible which is the that okay. we're actually that we're actually afraid of our, our own sort of boredom or ennui or, or whatever that it's actually or like Stuart Davis, one of my favorite songwriters, said he actually has this this song all about the vow of the Bodhisattva that it, that people aren't scared of dying, they're scared of living forever and not being able to die, like not having that release. I don't know
1: no that, that makes that makes sense, but I mean look now we're we're at a place where we're starting to be okay with. I know it's completely off topic, but it makes sense where we're able to, some countries are allowing people if they're too sick to die, giving us that control, which is, you know, a really good thing for some people. Of course, I know it's a highly debatable topic, but, but um, going to what you're saying about what he's saying, if I do think that there would be a whole host of other issues if we were given, if somebody was given, you know, we were given the opportunity to live forever. But I also think, or what I had learned a long time ago about tragedy and illness and things like that is there there are some people that are changed by that. But I also did learn, and this kind of blew my mind, that there's a lot of people who are not, who will have something tragic happen to them and go right back into living their life the way they used to. And I learned that from somebody who showed me some articles and science stuff on it because I was dealing with a potential loss of somebody and I was trying to prepare the relationship was very difficult and, you know, I wanted to repair that relationship before that person had died. And what they had told me was it's just probably not going to happen. And I said, well, why? You see that on movies. You see, you know, people at the end of their life, they have this epiphany, like, and they find out they're dying. They go out and they do amazing stuff. But, you know, from what, what I've learned, that it's just not that common that most people go right into the same thing or they have the same behaviors. And when the person died, the relationship didn't get resolved. And, you know, there was no, like, come to Jesus moment. There was nothing. It was of the same of everything that it always had been, even with trying. Mm. And so that's the thing that we see with people who've had illnesses or things like that. It has to be a specific kind of person. And it has to be a specific kind of thing that will actually jar somebody enough to um, create kind of a ripple that will change their course of life. And they gave me an example of uh, their sister's husband um, worked a lot and was, ne- and was never home, and uh, he ended up getting into a car accident. I mean, like we're talking never home, and he was home because he was home for like two months because he couldn't walk and whatever and talk to his family about, you know, wanting to be there. This is what she gave me an example of to kind of make me understand, and it was a pretty awful accident, and he was very much like, yes, I, I want to be closer to the family, and then the minute he got well wellness, he went back to being a workaholic again. And it's because we're mm-hmm. habitual creatures. I mean, dogs are habitual creatures. There's so many different categories of animals that are just based in habitual. So you have to be kind of open, I think. You have to really see it for what it is. And I wish that more people would would have more eye-opening experiences. I wish that people wouldn't have to have such tragedy to see their full potential or to push themselves. But we become so numb. Look at the, you know, the shooting today. In Florida, and all the tragedy we see, we just go, "Oh, there's another one." Not saying that I'm, you know, immune to it because I'm not. I'm I'm an empath, and I, I get very sad easy about, about stuff like that. But it it's become a problem where you know tragedy is so much a part of our life because we're connected to the internet. You know, people used to have to pick up the daily paper to see what was going on, and then it was like, "Oh, you'd have to be home and turn on your television." And now we can get these horrible tragic. Things through our feed repeatedly every day, all the time. Yeah. So, I think that it's not a common thing for somebody to have something tragic or tragedy to happen around them to really open their eyes. And, I, and that's what I wish. I wish that it wouldn't have to be tragedy, it wouldn't have to be an illness. I wish that I could have had these epiphanies without what I went through. You know, I went through severe child stuff as a kid, and as an adult, I didn't have the epiphanies that I had from being sick, you know. But wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to have, or tragedy didn't have to bring families together, or something like 9-11 didn't have to bring the country together, that we would actually just come together because we wanted to, not because something created a sense of urgency that should have been there anyway? Amen. Mm -hmm.
0: Amen. Well, my hope is that this maelstrom of distraction and addiction is... (laughs) The smallest possible tragedy that we can have before we realize, you know, I hope it takes the smallest amount of trauma for us to realize that we really don't want AT&T to stand in the middle when we try to reach out and touch someone.
1: (laughs) No, no. Thank you.
0: So, oh man,
1: Mm. we appreciate
0: it. Yeah. Anya Khan. Thank you so much today for, this thoughtful conversation. Now that you've gathered everything under one roof, where do you want to send people who want to check out your amazing various projects?
1: Sure. They can, uh, for my art specifically, they can go to AnyaKhan.com. A-U-N-I-A-K-U-H-K-A-H. Well, look, I spell my name wrong because everybody <laughs> else does. So A-U-N-I-A-K-A-H-N. And then for the podcast, the Create and Inspire podcast, the publishing, Sketch Saturdays, you can go to the gallery page, and that's AlexiEraGallery.com, A-L-E-X-I-E-R-A, and then gallery.com. And then, of course, because, you know, I'm a slave to the machine, you can find me on Instagram and, of course, on Facebook.
0: As long as you like dog pictures. That's right. <laughs> Black, <laughs> Black and white photography.
1: photography. Hey, I got a new dog, and she's cute. You should come check her out on my page. Her name's is Rent. And oh. she's adorable. She's a little tiny Australian Shepherd, and she snorts like a pig.
0: So. Oh, okay. That <laughs> does sound like I may actually want to follow you as a whole person and not just the fraction of you that paints gorgeous <laughs> pop surrealist ladies That's right. and animals. Well, All thank right. You so much. Yeah. Thank you. done here and we may not ever